you smell what the rock is cooking good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another edition of if you smell what the arch is cooking i am your host archie mitchell and we are back here for episode 94 of this show with a plethora of different news and happenings in the world of professional wrestling today that is right ladies and gentlemen as we are on the road to backlash for the wwe and double or nothing for aew a lot of big things have been happening in the world of professional wrestling so let's not waste any time go ahead and strap in buckle up crack open your favorite frosty beverage and get ready to hear me spew my venom my hate and my love for the world of professional wrestling and let's go ahead and get into some quick hits. Number one on the list tonight, Nick Aldis returns to Impact Wrestling. That's right. The former two-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Aldis has chosen not to return to the NWA. He wrote out his suspension, which also got his contract to finally come up. He did not look to sign with AEW or the WWE. No, he went back to his original home in Impact Pro Wrestling. Now... What does that do for Impact? Well, with Josh Alexander getting injured, Steve Macklin as the new World Heavyweight Champion, and everything that has happened over the last couple of months, I think that it helps them in a very big way. Nick Aldis is a huge name. He is a household name, thanks to the NWA, and his matches with Cody Rhodes for the NWA World Heavyweight title. And I think that this will help Impact in a very big way. What I would like to see is Nick challenge for the NWA world oh excuse me for the impact world heavyweight title for around three months before he finally gets the belt around his waist let nick held the hold the belt for a few months before josh alexander comes back and then you've got a ready-made feud between those two i think nick is going to help backstage with his wife being in impact wrestling i think it'll help all as well having her there and his son and i think that he is going to help at the wrestling aspect as well as well so, congratulations to Nick Aldis on going back to Impact Pro. And uh, I hope to see a great return for him inside the ring. Number two, MLW World Heavyweight Champion Hammerstone may have badly injured himself at the War Chamber. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit during the highlight reel, but Hammerstone was seen limping out of the cage before the match was even over and needed to be helped to the back and taken away on an ambulance now. Reports say that this is not a work. This is not just something to give Hammerstone a little bit of time off, and then he's going to come back and remain champion. There have been talks from Court Bauer to other members of the MLW team talking about what would happen with the World Heavyweight title. Court Bauer said that he is not looking to make an interim champion, and he is not looking to strip Hammerstone just yet. So he is waiting to hear an official response to how badly Hammerstone is injured before he is going to go ahead and do something with the title. Now, this is good to see, because here's why, ladies and gentlemen. We have seen countless wrestling companies take a belt off of a wrestler and then, oh, well, he's going to be out three to four months, five to six months, seven to eight months. And then three and a half to four weeks later, the guy comes back. And it's, well, it wasn't exactly what we thought the injury was going to be. You just need a little bit of rehab time. So now we're going to push him to the back burner. Let the new champion who won it in a tournament or a battle royal or a triple threat match be the champion until we put these two together. In my opinion, that's the wrong move. Give a guy a couple of weeks to see how he's doing, what's going to happen. A champion, in my opinion, 
and from what I remember in the history books, has between 30 to 90 days to defend his title, depending on the company. So you could work it out any way you want and say that he just doesn't have to defend the title. On top of which, Hammerstone has been the champion for over a year, has defended it on countless occasions against multitudes of opponents. So I don't see a reason to strip him of the title just yet. And as far as the, making an interim champion goes, I am so happy to hear Cord Bauer say that he is not interested in doing that because in my opinion, that is nothing but a bunch of bullshit when you make an interim champion. I don't like it in the UFC. I didn't like it when uh, AEW did it, and I certainly would not like it if MLW did it. Number three, Nick Khan says massive layoffs will happen after the WWE draft, but more so from the corporate aspect. Now, that's good to hear for the WWE roster, uh, although I do think the roster is a little bloated. Way too many people in developmental being trained, way too many people on NXT, and way too many people on the main roster. But as long as we don't see 105 people get laid off within a four-month period of time again from the roster, I think we're going to be okay. Uh, but as far as the corporate aspect goes, I understand that completely, and here's why. With Endeavor buying the WWE and UFC having their own company and the WWE having their own company and now it being merged, you're going to want to start taking people away from the corporate side of things, putting in who you think is the best fit. If they both got, you know, producers, if they both got directors, if they both got vice presidents and, and you know, people in charge of talent relations and so on and so forth, you don't want to have 12 of those kind of people. You want to slim it down. So I think this was the best bet for both companies, and I think we're going to get the best possible product. Once the draft is over, and once backlash happens in a couple of weeks, we are going to see a much different WWE, and it will be for the better, in my opinion. I think that the WWE is going to become a more slimmed down, better run, more well-oiled machine at the aftermath of all of this. I, I personally, I back the Endeavor sale. I think it was the best bet. And I think that both companies, both the WWE and UFC, are going to see real benefit from this sale. Now, I only had three on the list, but another one popped up before I decided to start recording. So number four, Mercedes Monet, Sasha Banks, has been making headlines over the last week or so with everything that she's been doing again. Uh, and in my opinion, this is a child's way of looking for attention, and I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, Mercedes Monet went on record as saying that she wishes fans would stop following her when she's in airports and when she's in restaurants and things of that nature. She's tired of fans waiting for her outside of restaurants and trying to get autographs from her, and I get that. I understand that. That was fine, but she did it with a crying video as if it was a call for help, like if she was being hurt in some way, you understand, looking for attention. Number two, she talked about how she'd love to fight in an intergender match uh, against Zack Sabre or Kenny Omega or any former uh, AEW or IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Now, last I checked, Japan does not have intergender matches. Last I checked, AEW does not really allow that much in the intergender world either. And it just seems like she's begging for attention again. And number three... She recently took on the dirt sheets and saying that she never heard of a scripted uh, uh, wrestling business having dirt sheets like a real sporting company, like baseball, football, basketball. Well, last I checked, 
Sasha, Mercedes, whatever the hell you're calling yourself these days. The wrestlers in this business, the owners of these companies, want their wrestling companies to be considered legit. And for you to say that dirt sheets should not exist, well, sweetie, without the dirt sheets, you wouldn't be relevant. People wouldn't know who you are. People wouldn't hear your voice and people wouldn't see what you're doing. So I think it's a little bit of BS for her to even think about saying something like that. I think it's even worse for her to say it. And I think she's just pissed off because no one made as big of a deal about her debut in Japan or her winning the IWGP star, uh, Stardom Women's Championship. I think that she is begging for attention like she got when she walked out of the WWE those couple of times. And I think she's hoping someone will say, oh, we love you. Oh, you're great. Oh, we want you're the best. You know, she's making uh, statements like she's the female rock that people, you know, don't mention uh, uh, John Cena anymore or the rock or Stone Cold. They're going to mention her name. That is not the truth in any way, shape or form. Trish Stratus, on the other hand, China, Lita, women who actually paved the way in this business for women like Sasha Banks are the ones that they're going to mention. Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, those are the women that Wrestler fan, wrestling fans are going to mention, as well as women like Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Riho, uh, you know, Sheeta in AEW, even Thunder Rosa are going to be mentioned as pillars of that company. But on my opinion, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, Mercedes Vernado, whatever the hell you want to call her, should only be mentioned as the woman who took her ball and went home and be said that she has always been a runner. She is always someone who doesn't like to be not put in the main event. And when things don't go her way, she bitches and moans. And then she leaves. And then she comes back. And then she does it all over again. So I can't wait to see what her bitching and moaning about Japan is going to be. And I can't wait to see when she walks out of that company, if anyone else will be looking to deal with her. So with that being said, the uh, quick hit portion is done. I'm going to go ahead and get into our highlight reel, ladies and gentlemen. So here we go from Monday Night Raw. The opening with the bloodline and Judgment Day was fantastic, but the teased face-off between Rhea Ripley and Solo Sokoa was a thing of beauty. Now, I don't expect these two to ever go one-on-one, but just seeing that they were allowing Rio to, excuse me, Rhea to uh, kind of size up Solo Sokoa is fantastic. They're both the enforcers for their teams. They just so happen to be a man <coughs> and a wo- woman. And I just loved it. It was fantastic. Number two, Solo Sokoa and Rey Mysterio for 20 minutes. Battle of the big man and the small man, David versus Goliath. Fantastic. I like that the Bloodline and the Judgment Day were doing their thing and uh, coming together. And as Paul Heyman said, for villainous ways, they have put their differences aside. I thought that Solo and Rey did a fantastic job. Number three, Cody and Brock Lesnar's promo. Brock being the antagonist, never actually really saying a word, trying not to get to the ring, allowing security to keep Cody away from him. Wow. Unbelievable. And Cody Rhodes showing that killer instinct, trying to get to Brock. Number four, Seth Rollins versus The Miz. These two have had countless matches. One as recently as just before WrestleMania, so this was a rematch of sorts, but it did the job. Uh, Number five, Austin Theory and Bobby Lashley. Again, this was another rematch, a match that we've seen at least four times. But 
they did a different match. They had a great encounter, and they allowed Bronson Reed to get involved, with added, which added a different ending and allowed us to see something more from everybody involved. Number six, Trish Stratus's heel promo. Wow. She went all out. This was old school Trish. Her saying that she is not anybody's eye candy. She is not our uh, high school fantasy any longer. She is no one's sidekick. And that she is the true greatest of all time was fantastic. And I think that that lends to when Becky finally comes back. Because Becky's dealing with an injury right now. I think that that does lend to when Becky comes back. Them battling for who the true greatest of all time is. Or the true GOAT. Um, and really going to give us a, a wonderful one-on-one -on -one encounter between these two women. I would really hope that it does not happen at Backlash. I'd like a slow burn leading into SummerSlam, because uh, I think that would give us a great women's one-on-one -on -one match without a title being involved. But you never can tell with the WWE. And finally, number seven, the ending brawl between the LWO, Bloodline, Judgment Day, Sami Zayn, Matt Riddle, and Kevin Owens. Wow. We have not seen something like this since the gang warfare days. And I'm kind of happy about that because they were overdoing that back in the late 90s, 97, 98, 96 era. When, you know, the Truth Commission, the DOA, Los Bariquas, the Nation of Domination were all battling it out. This was something fresh. It happened again for the first time in forever. And it was great to see the faces stand tall. Kevin Owens and Ray, uh, uh, you know, leading the charge, the LWO backing Ray up. Uh, once again, uh, Zelina Vega getting the upper hand against Rhea Ripley. It allowed so much ending out Monday Night Raw in a good way. Moving over to NXT, uh, we had Gallus versus the Dyad versus the Creed Brothers in a triple threat match for the NXT World Tag Team titles. A lot of triple threat matches these days, a lot of multi-man matches, and I'm not really for it. Because I understand you want to get everybody on the roster a spot and a shot at television time. But I just think that the more triple threat, fatal four ways, five ways, and, you know, ultimate survivor matches that you're going to do is going to be overkill. But these three teams made it pay off because it was all three members of each team in the ring at the same time. A big brawl ensued, and then the Gallus got the win. I really enjoyed this match completely. Number two. Braun Breaker and Duke Hudson's promo. Braun totally destroying uh, Odyssey Jones. And then cutting a great heel promo about the NXT universe and about, you know, everybody that he's encountered. Duke Hudson getting involved. And even though he was being comical, was being very serious as well. But then he's, he changed it and made it that it's going to be Andre Chase taking on Braun Breaker and Spring Breakout next week. I thought we were getting Duke versus Braun, but hey, it's still going to make for some great storytelling. Number three, Roxanne Perez versus Zoe, Zoe Starks almost sold the show. That reverse in the corner into the Pop Rocks was fantastic. Uh, and both women showing a lot of edge and a lot of greatness going into that match. I don't like that Zoe's been losing a lot lately. But I also don't like that she's been running her mouth like she's winning constantly. So I guess it's the mark of a true heel, though, that you just, you know, constantly keep talking shit, even though you're getting your ass whipped. And number four, Dijak versus Cruz. Apollo Cruz seems to be the gatekeeper of NXT lately. You know that, hey, that wasn't fair. Hey, you're you're doing this and it's wrong. And I'm going to tell you that. You know what I mean? He's the good guy 
taking on all these bad guys, and Dijak just put him in his place in a great 20-minute encounter. So great matchup from Cruz and Dijak to end out NXT. I won't get into Grayson Waller and Carmelo Hayes because I think they're going to have a great matchup at that ending segment, which just didn't do anything for me, but I won't even get into it. MLW, only one match the whole night, the MLW War Chamber. And it was the calling, Ravens crew, uh, you know, of Ricky Shane Page, Akira, uh, Delirious was a part of the uh, the team, and that big fat guy in the mask, uh, taking on the second gear crew and Hammerstone. Wow. This was a throwback to old ECW. Every weapon used, including the kitchen sink, uh, just a, a great, monstrous blood fest. And M- MLW seems to be the closest to that old school ECW gore that we used to like. Hey, if you lived through the Attitude Era in ECW, you know what I'm talking about here, folks. It was fantastic. Of course, Hammerstone got injured halfway through the match, had to be taken away. That left the second gear crew a man down. And the calling got the win, but for 40 minutes, we saw one hell of a War Chamber match, which used to be called the War Games, but they had to retract that after WWE got the copyright. And now it is just a single cage match that was fantastic on this episode of MLW. Moving on to AEW Dynamite and what we had going on here. The opening segment with Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara, Darby Allin, and MJF opening and shooting that promo on each other. Wow. All three of the younger pillars who are not World Heavyweight Champion, Jungle Boy, Guevara, and Allen, really got a bone to pick with each other. And it was fantastic to hear them air it out. In my opinion, Darby Allen came the came across the, as the most sincere. The other ones kind of seemed like they were reading a script. Not Darby Allen, though. Um, and, yeah, Guevara, uh, you know, calling everybody out. Here comes MJF now. And he makes this Pillars tournament, which is a three-man tournament. Guevara and Jungle Boy will fight tonight in the main event. And then Darby Allen will face the winner next week. Winner gets a shot at double or nothing. So I, I think this was a great idea. Uh, and it was a great way to open the show. Number two, Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker taking on Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. You don't hear me talk about Tony Storm in a high uh, respect, but this matchup did it for her. But I think it was because she was in the ring with three women who were able to slow her down and keep her from botching. Uh, Baker and Hayter are doing a fantastic job. Soho is as well. And Soraya is the manager, I guess, is a great job. But if this is all you brought her back for, for those couple little matches, and then now she's a manager, maybe she didn't need to shit on the WWE so much. You know what I mean? Uh, number three, Wardlow with Arn Anderson's promo backstage. Wardlow paid tremendous respect to Tully Blanchard and then paid even more respect to Arn, bringing him in. Uh, as his new manager, Arn joined Wardlow at ringside for his matchup with um, Powerhouse Hobbs. And uh, I'm not going to get into the matchup because it was just 10 minutes of two big guys beating the hell out of each other with right hands and chops, and then a powerbomb ended it. It was not anything great to write home about. And Wardlow, of course, became the AEW TNT champion for a third time. But I thought him adding Arn as his manager was a fantastic job by AEW to bring Arn back into the fold. Number four, Chris Jericho and Adam Cole's promo and brawl. Wow. These two exuberated so much respect and disrespect back and forth. Uh, then the brawl, Britt Baker getting involved and pushing Chris Jericho off and asking, what the hell do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? And then, of course, the outcast, Ruby Soho and Tony Storm and Soraya getting involved and beating the hell out of Britt. 
Adam Cole being shackled to the bottom rope and having to watch as she gets destroyed by the outcast. Unbelievable. The only funny part, though, about all of this was Chris Jericho's outfit. He looked like Bowser from Mario Brothers, only all in black. I mean, he had on a spiked suit. I'm wondering if he, like, bought a cheap suit and had the seamstress backstage sew on spikes, or if he actually had somebody design that suit for him. Whatever the case was, I was kind of worried about Adam Cole poking his eye out if he got too close to Chris Jericho. And number five, Sammy Guevara versus Jungle Boy in the main event. It was kind of bad that it ended in a countout, but for 25 minutes, I don't think that was, that was the only way they could really get a win. MJF interferes. He and Guevara are now best buddies or because of the money and the offer that he made Guevara. It makes them best friends. Uh, Whatever the case may be, though, they did a great job. And I think that Guevara and Allen, who we've seen in the ring with each other before, are going to do a fantastic job next week as well. I have a strange feeling that we're going to see Darby Allen versus MJF at Double or Nothing. Guevara is probably going to take the L. And then it'll start a small mini food between Guevara and MJF uh, because of the money and everything like that. But great job with the main event. Um, Finally, we move on to Friday Night SmackDown. Uh, Rampage is omitted from this uh, countdown this week because it aired on Saturday and I did not get a chance to watch it before I recorded so over on SmackDown, the opening match of uh, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, taking on uh, Santos Escobar and Rey Mysterio. Great, great opener. 22 minutes of these guys going. Let me tell you something. Damian Priest may be a six foot 10, 280-pound guy, but he could fly just like those cruiserweights were with Rey and Santos Escobar. Uh, and Finn Balor is definitely getting finally a push that he deserves after his countless losses to Edge. And I was great to see that Santos and Ray took the L. A little sad for Santos Escobar because I think he deserves a push with this whole LWO thing going on. But I think that's going to kind of lead into why they leave Ray eventually because they're constantly losing. But whatever. Great opening matchup. Number two. Uh, night, number two, uh, Braun Strowman and Ricochet taking on the Viking Raiders. Um, wow. Absolutely Wow. Uh, I did not expect to enjoy a Viking Raiders match this much, especially with Braun Strowman involved. But Braun Strowman kicking out of that splash from Ivar. Um, uh, Ricochet doing everything he could inside, outside of the ring with that high-flying ability. Great job by all. Gunter, a.k.a. Walter. I'll I'll start calling him Gunter because people don't understand what I mean when I say Walter (laughs) anymore. Um, Gunter taking on... um, Xavier Woods was fantastic. Um, Xavier Woods actually showed me that when he's not clowning around and being a joke and being the new day and all that BS anymore, and he actually has a matchup, he can go. And Gunther did a fantastic job as usual. Those chops, man, they are brutal. Uh, just it finally got the win after 15 and a half minutes of him chopping the crap out of Xavier Woods' chest. And finally, in the main event, Matt Riddle had taken on Solo Skoa in a Falls Count Anywhere hardcore matchup. Wow. Seeing Solo get buried under the uh, announce table, but then Riddle, you know, still can't get the win. Help from the uh, Usos and, uh, you know, them helping uh, Solo take out Riddle again. Unbelievable. The bloodline is still looks strong as hell, but there seem to be some cracks. Kind of left you with questions of, hey, what the hell is going to happen next? And that finally brings us to the low light reel. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is back. 
And uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look. Not much on it this week, thank God. But it's because even the things that I thought were bad on certain shows, like Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs, were not super terrible. It was just these three that I think needed to be voted on this exact show. So, number one, Bianca Belair and Dakota Kai from Monday Night Raw. What a slow, botchy, unbelievably bad matchup. And it wasn't just Bianca. Dakota did her job, too, as doing it badly. Uh Unbelievable. I don't know how they made this matchup. I don't understand why. I think that Io should have just got her title match now and maybe not done it on pay-per-view, which I don't even think they're doing it on pay-per-view because it hasn't been announced yet for Backlash. But, man, I'm going to say it again, and I say it almost every week, and I know you guys are probably hating me for it because she's really well-liked. I am tired of the Bianca Belair uh, experience, and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. She is very bad inside the ring. She is very bad at cutting promos. She is very white bread and cookie cutter. I don't like it. Number two, the Briggs, Jensen, Henley, and James vignettes on NXT. I get it. You wanted to split up Briggs and Jensen. You want him and, and, and Keanu James to have a relationship. But my God, these are boring. It's the same basic premise every week. Well, he said, she said, you did, you did. No, she's bad, you're bad. Unbelievably bad. I thought that after they lost the titles and they split up the tag team, maybe we'd go back to normal. Look, I know on this show, I said that I loved Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis's love story that they did. But Johnny Gargano, Indy Hartwell, Candice LeRae, Austin Theory, and Dexter Loomis did a fantastic job of selling me in that storyline. These four, not so much. And finally, number three, Commander versus Jay White from AEW Dynamite. Well, why? It was a great matchup. Two young stars. How could you say that? Well, here's why. Ten minutes into the match, Commander did a springboard where he almost fell. And if it wasn't for Jay White holding his back, he would have fell down and hurt himself. He then jumped back up on the ropes while Jay White was still holding his hand. Did eight jumps and flips and back flips in that uh, moment for no reason. And then when he finally landed to Hearn Conrad, he almost broke Jay White's neck. Oh. And here's the best part of all of this. After this brutal matchup where neither guy looked comfortable and both of them did a terrible job, okay? By the way, Jay White deserves so much better two weeks into being into AEW. But after this horrible botch fest of a matchup, Commander is all elite. Why the hell would you sign this guy after that crap fest? Unbelievably bad. Unbelievably bad. If I could give this match an award... For shit box match of the year, I would definitely give it to it. It was horribly bad. I don't care if you like Commander. I don't care if you're a Jay White fan, which I am. These three, these two guys did not do a good job. And it was really bad. And then after the matchup, the uh, Rick um, Jay White and Juice Robinson beat down on Commander. Here comes Ricky Starks. So that means Commander is now a part of this feud. My God. Very bad AEW. Maybe you need to stop being live and, and start going on tape so that you got a chance to edit some of these garbage can matches and make them a little better. But that's neither here nor there. I want to thank you guys for joining me. That's going to do it for this week. We're going to wrap it up. Next week, we will have, again, the highlight reel. 
and it will feature NXT Spring Breakout. We're going to have the quick hits. We're going to have the low light reel. And you never know, we might have a little bit of grinds my gears. So thank you all for joining me. Have a great night. And just a quick reminder, I want you guys to start checking out the Nothing But Trouble podcast. This week we start our Star Wars theme shows. Two shows directed completely towards Star Wars. And check out the We Can't Wrestle podcast because this week I will be defending my trivia championship over there on that show. That's right. I've been the trivia champion now for about six to seven months. I have successfully defended my title twice. And I'm going to see if I can make it three times. So thank you for joining me. Have a great night. And I will see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking.